I used to go to thrift stores with my friends. We'd take the train into Boston and go to the garment district, which is this huge vintage clothing warehouse. Everything is arranged by color, and sometimes, and somehow, that makes all the clothes beautiful. It's kind of like if you went through the wardrobe in the Narnia books, only instead of finding Aslan and the White Witch and horrible Eustace, you found this magic clothing world. Instead of talking animals, there were feather boas and wedding dresses and bowling shoes and paisley shirts and Doc Martens and everything hung up, on, hung up on racks. So that first you have black dresses all together, like the world's largest indoor funeral. And then blue dresses, all the blues you can imagine. And then red dresses and so on. Pink reds and orangey reds and purple reds and exit light reds and candy reds. Sometimes I would close my eyes, and Natasha and Natalie and Jake would drag me over to a rack and rub a dress against my hand. Guess what color this is? Lightning recap. In The Fairy Handbag by Kelly Link, a young woman is on the hunt for her grandmother's lost handbag and her own lost love. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. Oh my God, it's short story, short podcast. (laughs) I am Chris, and today I am here with... Christy, and we're definitely not on cocaine this week. (laughs) Last week it was LSD. Um, (laughs) Yes, it's so good to be here. The the fall has fallen. (sighs) Ah. And, you know, one of the great things about fall is I look for, for sort of things to carry me along into the new coming year. What, what short story could I carry along with me? You could carry The Fairy Handbag by Kelly Link. And Kelly Link has been an absolute favorite of mine since Magic for Beginners, one of the best stories of the ever. And, uh, this is another excellent example of why I love Kelly Link. And I will start by having a personal aside. Ooh. The Garment District in Boston, we used to go to pretty much weekly. Uh, it was our whole thing when we were in college. It was where we would go. And there was a clothing by the pound place was the best. Because you would go, because Boston is full of vintage shops and antique shops and all sorts of bric-a-brac places. But you would go there, and there would be literal piles of clothing. And you would go through, and you would wade in, and you'd see, oh, this hideous dress would be great. I usually didn't pick the hideous dress. but uh, And it was an amazing place. And I can see how a story like this would be attached to a place like that. And this is one of those great things where you're seeing connections between reality and uh, fiction, and they overlap in a way that if you have that background, you can absolutely enhance your enjoyment of the story. Yeah, I don't have that background. I'm jealous of that background because that sounds amazing. (laughs) 
Uh, I'm very jealous. I did not think I would ever put Boston back on my travel list after uh, 20, no, uh, 16 years ago. I haven't actually driven in Boston and decided that this was not a place I wanted to return to ever again in my life. But now, knowing about the Garment District, uh, I guess I can fly there? <laughs> I used to be a shuttle van driver in Boston. <laughs> oh, I knew there was a source for your madness. I knew it. <laughs> Not only in Boston, but in the nightclub district of Boston. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, no. <laughs> so here what we have is a story that I, it depends on how quibbly you want to be. I could call this a fantasy story. Yeah, I would say this definitely falls more on the magical side of the magical realism. There's a lot more magic and a lot more of those fantastical elements that we see in straight fantasy, I guess is what I kind of call it, that uh, that show up sort of creatures with more fantastical tendencies and that are different from humans, uh, other places and lands. That is, those are more hallmarks of your standard fantasy than, uh, you know, as a, as a whole than mag- magical realism as a subgenre. So I would say that if, if we have sort of a, a scale from one to ten, and you know, ten is one is fa- fantasy, the traditional, you know, standard fantasy stuff, and ten is magical realism. I say this more falls like a four. I'm going to give it a okay. four. I could see that. And I think one of the best things about this, one, it features Scrabble. Yes. Which, um, there's a theory in film. Uh, it's a very deeply serious theory that if you see a couple playing Scrabble in a movie, they are going to break up. Um, Ooh, I didn't uh, know about that. Now I'm going to have to keep an eye out. One of the classic examples is in Charlie's Angels. They're playing Scrabble with Sam Rockwell, and he turns out to be a bad guy. Aha! Yeah, there's a few of those. All, all basically 2001, 2, 3, 4, where it came. But uh, that entire section of, of Sophia and Baldezzi Whirly Kistan uh, <laughs> is... Oh, see, I... I, I tried to get that down because I was like, I, I, I definitely need to, to, to know how to pronounce this because it will come up. And so I think I can actually just roll it right off the tongue, but we'll see. Well, does a world like a stand. Correct. <laughs> and that sort of, it's that sort of little things. Again, what's happening is this setting of a table where there is a weirdness, but this isn't necessarily all of the weirdness. It's just enough weirdness. And then it gets weirder. But then it gets mm-hmm. normaler. Yeah. And what I love about that, um, actually, my favorite parts of this story are the normaler parts. Well, at least what passes for normal in today's society. And by the way, this is full of names that are just ridiculous. Rustin. Rustin. Oh, I went with Rustan for the pronunciation <laughs> in my head. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of all of the John Hodgman books is he says... Um, the kid had a name that isn't really a name, but sounds like it could be a name like Jace. <laughs> but uh, here it's little things like this. I fell in love with Jake because he told stupid knock, knock jokes to Natalie and told Natasha that he liked her jeans. I fell in love with Jake when he took me and Sophia home. 
just the little sweet things that, you know, this whole idea of a main character who is so deeply of their moment. And I love that about characters in the same, the same section, you know, I didn't fall in love with Jake because he was smart. I'm pretty smart myself. I know that smart doesn't mean nice or even mean you have a lot of common sense. Look at all the terrible smart, all the trouble smart people get themselves into. I don't feel seen. Also uh, foreshadowing. (laughs) Very true. And that's something actually I love in the best short stories that we have read is sometimes you end up smacking yourself in the forehead saying, how did I not see this coming? And here it's all over the place. <laughs> and I love It that. really is. Yes. I actually had in my notes something about Jake and, and where did he go? And, you know, I knew that the author would answer it, but I was, I was starting to get impatient. And finally, when it was answered, I was like, actually, before that, I wrote, starting to suspect Jake went in the handbag. And then I think it happened a couple paragraphs later, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I was definitely a little slow on the uptake there. The, the story made me feel like I maybe wasn't picking up what it was laying down, even though it was laying it down in a perfectly competent and well-written manner. Yes. And in many ways, this actually reminds me of, there's a famous film called Greed. And uh, the original cut was something like eight or nine hours. Oh, and geez. they they cut it down for release at two and a half, I think, hours. And it's great even as it is. But uh, one of the p- few people who saw the full cut uh, said that what would happen is something would happen. And then four or five reels later, it would pop back up and smack you in the face. And that happens here. <laughs> Not, yes. you know, four or five hours later. <laughs> but. You're, you're getting that. And I love that when a writer does that. And it's one thing that Kelly Link does so well. Um, just makes me and happy. I, I think what allows her to do that, the tool she's using here, is sort of related to something you mentioned earlier, how it'll be kind of normal and then kind of out there, kind of normal, kind of out there. There is this disjointed sort of flow in sort of the way that memories are. And it pulls us through the story and it pulls us from sort of one event, one memory, one person to another. And with that disjointedness, which is, I'm not saying disjointed in a bad way, disjointed in a good way. With that disjointedness, we are given room to forget some of the things or to not put as much importance on some of the things we've been told as we might otherwise if there was, if, if it was just a straight chronological beginning to end narrative. And so I think that disjointedness and that jumping around uh, that, that she does within the, the actual story is what allows the surprises to actually happen, despite all of the big crumbs laid along the path for us idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we have these sort of fascinating and slightly annoying characters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I honestly was mildly annoyed by Sophia. <laughs> I, I liked, I liked Sophia, but I, I did just want her to be s- straight out and tell the truth sometime because it could be important, you know? Mm-hmm. 
it felt like her lying all the time and saying, don't believe a word I say, but kind of with a wink. It, it feels like when somebody is that way, you don't know if anything they say is truth and therefore you don't know if anything they say is important. And there are things that she could have told uh, our narrator here that would have helped her along the way. Yes. And when a character is, I wouldn't necessarily say Sophia is untrustworthy. And I wouldn't say is uncaring. I think that that uh, obfuscation comes from somewhere outside of her. And that that makes it less, while still annoying, is something that is more understandable, I guess. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying there. I just, it seemed to be glib to me, I guess. Glib? Glib, glib, said Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. So, also, oh, yeah. No, no go, go ahead. No, no, no. After you. I didn't really have anything. I don't know. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to bring up, there is a archetypal character in this story that I think is really important to sort of get into. And that is the librarian. When librarians are presented in fiction, I, of course, have a very strange view being the son of librarians, having been around libraries all my life. <laughs> having once delivered a speech about the effects of a library, standing on the site where a library once stood, but no longer did. The, to me, the end of this story is the revelation of a librarian. <laughs> and I love that. I also love, this is where I literally did a slow clap after this because I was just so impressed. The librarian stared hard at her. I know you, she said, almost sounding odd, like she was a weekend bird watcher who had just seen Bigfoot. <laughs> Booyah kacha. Because <laughs> I think that what does that for me, I think, is that it is it is more signifiers of the strange. And we know we're coming crashing into the end of this story where you at the end of your story in a magical realism story that is structured like this, you have to be at peak strange. Yes. And Absolutely. I think we are, again, being set up for that. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, the setting up is done very skillfully. And, you know, especially with the librarian and the, the little altercation that happens between her and Sophia. And there's, there's something that I think is very vital to the relationships between the characters that is relayed in one single sentence right in the middle of all that there's an, there's an altercation is about to happen between Sophia and a librarian and yet we have my mother has always made it clear that it's my job to protect other people from Sophia and if that doesn't say anything about the generational relationship that's going on throughout the story I don't know what does yes and <laughs> generational relationships when they're approached in genre fiction are often more defining than any other portion of the story. In science fiction, typically, it is a generational difference where the technology has been embraced by the younger generation against the old generation. In fantasy, it is typically the holders of knowledge, usually misleading the 
people without the knowledge or tend to be younger and that sort of theme there. And, you know, I think that might show up here. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of does, doesn't it? Yes, it does. We do, in fact, have that. Yeah, and I think that that's the great power of working within genre, but not holding so structurally to traditional genre, as well as not necessarily playing with all the tropes of the genre you decide to, to be in. And this is, to me, is one of those examples. And it's why magical realism exists. I think it allows you that freedom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> mm-hmm, indeed. <laughs> it is It is a playful genre. And a genre where you can be more free and open and not feel like you have to live up to certain tropes. And yeah, I think that's one of one of the most powerful things about it is it allows some of our our best writers to just you know I don't know get funky I suppose. That's true. Now that's not to say that the tropes don't exist. Zofia dies. Spoiler, and that's straight out of uh, the history of fantasy. I mean, Tolkien could have write that if he wasn't a hack. <laughs> oh, <laughs> mythopoeic society online too, um, but. <laughs> But this story does so much, and in the end, I love the fact that if you wanted to read this as Scrabble is magic, you could. Yes. And that makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that made me happy was... I felt like along the way we got a very specific depiction, specific to this story depiction of something that that I experienced frequently. I'm going to read you, uh, it's basically a full paragraph here, but I think it's, it's all necessary to get the idea of what I'm going for. What m- worries me is that maybe one of the or one of the people under the hill, or maybe even Rustan, popped out of the handbag to run an errand and got worried when Sylvia wasn't there. Maybe they'll come looking for her and bring it back. Maybe they know I'm supposed to look after it now. Or maybe they took it and hid it somewhere. Maybe someone turned it in at the Lost and Found at the Library and that stupid librarian called the FBI. Maybe scientists at the Pentagon are examining that handbag right now, testing it. If Jake comes out, they'll think he's a spy or a super weapon or an alien or something. They're not just going to let him go. And that, folks, is a very accurate depiction of how anxiety brain works. <laughs> Had I not known about Kelly Link uh, before this, I would have read this and said, my God, this is the height of Gen X. And (laughs) the story basically proves (laughs) this is a Gen X story. (laughs) We have the references right there. Uh, You know, I hate those movies, those books where some guy goes off and has adventures while the the girl has to stay home and wait. I'm a feminist. I subscribe to Bust Magazine and I watch Buffy reruns. I don't believe in that kind of shit. I feel seen. <laughs> <laughs> and even the clothes at the uh, garment district 100% indicates that. If you are going to be a modern fantasist slash magical realist slash anything, you have to be able to set a table well. Yes. And here, more than anything, I think our table is beautifully set. And what's nice is that the meal 
is phenomenal. It is phenomenal, and I really feel that this ending, it, it's, it's bigger than just this story. That This ending, just those, even those last two sentences, really kind of encapsulates the entire subgenre. Not that you should believe the story. Promise me you won't believe a word. That feels like the trick that magical realism plays on us all along that we fall for because we love it. Yes, and I think one of the great, one of the great things that separates uh, new fantasy, ma- magical realism, whatever, from traditional fantasy or high fantasy or lame fantasy is this idea of a postmodern approach to the material. And right here, this is postmodernism just literally in the bag. It is representing the story as the story within the story. <laughs> And I love that, he said, looking at a David Sally poster. Um, just, you know, <laughs> that whole idea that, you know, metafiction is great. And this, I wouldn't say this is metafiction, but the little metafictional elements that are there make me happy. Yeah, yes. I didn't really think about <laughs> metafiction until you, you said that just now. But there are little, that it's right there at the end. There's that little bit of metafiction and it. it's sprinkled here and there throughout. It's not a huge part of the story. It's not a foundational element, but it is there. And I think it is important uh, to lead us to this end. And they they make me happy, too. They they make me feel very much more part of this world (laughs) that I've been reading about for the past however long it took me to read this. Well, you finished it five minutes before you came on. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have you know it was like 25 minutes this time because I had to go check the yard for yellow jackets before they can kill my husband. Oh, yeah. We got them all over here. It's kind of scary. Okay, I'm not moving there ever then. (laughs) No, don't move here. No, we have too many yellow jackets, too many mosquitoes. And people are openly barbecuing even after fire season. I don't get it. Oh, those bastards. Yeah, and the the, the mosquitoes have been eating me alive this summer, so I don't know what it is about me. But all of a sudden, I am like a mosquito buffet. I am a rare delicacy to them, and I don't like it. Correct. <laughs> I guess I guess that's where I get my correct this episode. Hey, I'll take it. That's fine. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got anything else on this one? Uh no, I think we covered we covered everything and I really I really enjoyed it. Uh it was it was a great ride. This is this would be in the uh in the rereading uh category for sure. Totally. I I would even go so far as to say totes. Totes my goats oh damn it i took it too far (laughs) you're down to guest host Uh (laughs) (laughs) occasional guest host (laughs) yes i said it ironically i can i I can claim that afterwards right after the fact yeah i'll let it slide (laughs) (laughs) hey christy yes if i were to read a story for next week, let's say, and we were talking about it, what would it be? Well, Chris, I know you, and I know for a fact that you do not read stories, but if you were to read a story for next week, you would read Eleven by Sandra Cisneros. Sweet! Yes, I'm looking forward to that one. Woo-hoo. Well, in Woo. that case, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast.